Well, good morning. It's 8 a.m. and I'm just back from Amsterdam and Geneva. I had a lovely time in Amsterdam. I had a terrible time in Geneva at a standards body meeting. Um, not many of those left on my horizon, thankfully. Uh, I'm going to read you the um, last of After the Siege this morning. Uh, this is finally done. I finished it at midnight in a hotel room in Geneva. Unfortunately, I'd left my microphone uh, back in London, and I know that the last time I did that um, and read off of my laptop uh, using the laptop mic, there were howls of protests. So I decided, bugger it, I would wait until I got back to London to read you the very end of this. Here we go. She let him lead the way toward the front. Trover was whimpering now. He twisted his ankle when she'd shoved him, and she whispered to him to be still. Her plan was stupid. The old hero was going to lead her into a trap, not to the high command, and she knew it. I suppose I should just shoot you, she said. Why do you say that? He was so calm. What kind of man was this? You'll lead me to a trap and have me shot or arrested. I have to see the Infowar command. I have to win the war. You dream big, little girl. I have been persecuting the war on our enemies since before your hero mother was born. The first thing I learned is that war is the art of the possible. It is possible that we will win the siege, given enough time and losses. It is not possible that you will win the war. So you'll have me shot rather than try. I wouldn't have you shot if I could help it. I owe your mother that much. If you keep talking about my mother, I will shoot you. She found his calm tone calmed her, too. The soldiers still saluted them, the old people waved, and she supposed that if any of them knew she had the whole old hero under her gun, she'd be torn to pieces. But she was calm, and the day was a sunny one. My apologies, the old man said. I could have you run away and try to find them on my own. You'd never find them. I found the wizard. I put a weapon under your chin. I'm fifteen years old, and I did that much. I will find them in all. You'll what? You'll tell them to go to the wizard's flat to receive to retrieve his technology? I assure you, if that was to come to pass, there would be no technology to get by the time you reached his flat. They were getting closer to the front. The distant gunfire and zizzing trench busters were crystal clear in her amazing new ears. He gave some to me, she said. My hearing aids failed yesterday, and he got them back online with hardened logic. I have it in my head. You... The old man stopped in his tracks. She almost shot him by accident, plowing into him. He turned around much faster than she'd seen him move to date. You have it in your head? He reached for her, and she jerked the sidearm up. Absently, he took it away from her in a single, cobra-swift movement and dropped it in his shirt pocket. He reached for her again with his one hand and tilted her head, looking for the small scars beneath her jaw. He fixed these? Yesterday. I was deaf yesterday morning. You're not lying? If you're lying, I will have you shot. She was deaf, Trover said very quietly. Now she can hear again. My sister isn't lying. They both looked at him. Come with me, little girl, the old hero said, and he struck off. Six hours after Valentine left her dead mother behind in their grimy, bare flat, she came to Infowar Command. 
It was far back of the lines near the old woods at the western side of the city, and the entrance to it was guarded by five checkpoints. They took away the sidearm from the old hero at the last one, along with several other small weapons the old hero was carrying. They searched and wanted Valentine and Trover, and made Trover turn out his pockets. It turned out he was carrying Valentine's old clasp-knife, which had disappeared some months before. He handed it to the soldier solemnly, and she kissed his cheek and tussled his hair for a moment, and for a moment she looked just like their mother, and Valentine felt tears behind her eyes. "'We're here,' the old hero said. "'Come with me.' There were three airlocks to pass through, and then they were put into airtight suits with breathing bottles. They didn't have one that would fit Trover, but the nice soldier who kissed his cheek promised to look after him. Beyond the last airlock it was like something from before the siege, clean and bold and humming with energy. "'We keep everything that works here,' the old hero said. "'This is our last cache of materiel that hasn't been compromised by the Infowar. "'It's a completely sealed space. "'If a single strand of malware got in, it would turn the epidemic and wipe out everything.' "'His voice sounded like it was coming from a million miles away. "'Shrouded by her breathing hood, Valentine felt like she was in the first days of a better nation, "'a time when everything worked and smelled of sharp cleanliness, not rot and ruin.' hooded figures walked past them without a glance. The old hero led her deep into the maze and through yet another airlock. Comrade, the old hero said, a word, please. The hooded figure to whom he spoke looked up from its workbench and peered through the old hero's hood. Then it saluted smartly and, t and hurried to the old hero's side. General, the hooded figure, had a men's voice, almost as old as the old hero's voice. The old hero, the general, touched his hand to his hood, and then pulled a retractable wire out of his helmet and presented it to the other. The other patched it into his helmet's collar. Even with her marvelous new ears, Valentine couldn't hear what they said. They released their umbilicus a moment later, and then the other one turned to Valentine. "'Is it true?' His voice was choked, like he could barely get the words out. "'In my ears,' she said, "Harden logic.' The old man danced from foot to foot. It can't be true, he said. She nodded. The old man rooted through his workbench and came up with a wand that he put against the back of her neck. It was similar to the wand that the doctor camera woman at the wizard's house had used to figure out her hearing aids. You have it? the general asked. I have it, the other one said. I have copied it. Whether I can decompile it, whether I can make anything useful from it, well, we'll see. Tomorrow, then, the general said. The, old, the other one didn't answer. He was hunched over a terminal on his workbench, fingers punishing his keyboard. Now where, Valentine said, as they shucked their isolation suits, the smell of stink and rot flooding back into her nostrils. Now we clean house, the general said. Get your brother and your gun. Twenty-four hours after the wizard cured Valentine's hearing, she helped arrest him. The general knocked on the wizard's door, and it swung open. Anna had her cast off again, and had her and had her bad cane. Yes, comrade, I have business with you and yours. Bring them out here, please. Anna took in the line of soldiers in the road before her, carrying weapons from knives to old gunpowder weapons to small floppy sidearms, and she went ashen. I knew it would be today, she said. She turned to Valentine. When you came back this morning, I knew it would be today. Call them, the old hero said. They already know you're here. Smoke was emerging from the doorway behind her. It's all destroying itself. There was never a chance of you getting access to it. The general shrugged with one shoulder. Valentine wondered if his stump was smooth like a billiard ball, or angry and wounded and shriveled like a dried fruit. 
She gripped her mother's side arm tighter and watched the wizard emerge, the documentarians. The wizard's eyes glittered. It's all gone, he said. You won't get a scrap of it. What a goddamn waste. We were on your side, you know. You were very well fed, the general said. One of the documentarians sobbed. What a pointless goddamn waste. Spiteful, stupid, bone-headed. The wizard broke off, looked at Valentine. Her hearing aids. Valentine smiled. Yes, she said, my hearing aids. I'm recording you now. Do you have any words you'd like to say for the microphone? The wizard's jaw dropped to his chest, and his whole body sort of crumpled, slumping in the grasp of the soldier who held him. You little... Valentine put a sarcastic finger to her lips, and then made a show of covering Trover's ears. She saw Anna smile involuntarily before the woman turned away. Three days after they arrested the wizard, the sky cars lifted off again. They roared over the enemy lines, dropping intelligent motes that zeroed in on enemy soldiers and burrowed up their nostrils and in their ears and in the corners of their eyes and rattled in their skulls until their brains were paste and goo. Four days after they arrested the wizard, the printers started to supply food and drugs. Clever, wormy robots sought out and inoculated the, ro the zombies. Ten days after they arrested the wizard, the buildings started to repair themselves. The lifts all worked again, all at once, in a synchronized city-wide whirr of convenience and civilization. Fourteen days after they arrested the wizard, the siege ended. Valentine and Trover were in the civil defense bunkhouse. They buried their mother that morning in the woods, in a perfectly square grave that the robots had excavated for them, amid the ranked hundreds of thousands that the robots were digging through the woods, marking each with a small plaque inset into the soil, each bearing a name and the date of birth, and sometimes a day of death, and the legend, Hero of the Siege. Trover hadn't spoken all, all that day, but he had tossed in the first shovelful of dirt at their mother's grave. Around them the survivors had wailed and torn their clothes and shoveled at the masked dead. The soldiers laughed and sang around them, drinking champagne and eating chocolate. The men hugged them and the women kissed them, and even the sour woman from the city gave them a hug. The general saw them sitting in their corner, Trover's hand in Valentine's, and he got them and brought them back into the cells. He handed Valentine a key and gestured toward the wing. Go and get them. They're free to go now. Tell them to go far. Anna and the wizard were sharing a tiny cell. The documentarians were in three other cells. Valentine turned the old metal key in each lock in turn. It's over, she said. Victory. The general says to go far. Anna hugged her so long, Valentine thought she'd never let go. But when she did let go, Valentine wished she'd come back. Valentine never saw them again. Ten years after the siege, Valentine got her medal. The ceremony was a small one. They'd almost run out of special medals to bestow on the living heroes of the siege, and children came last. The only time she saw Trover these days was at a friend's ceremony. The rest of the time he was preoccupied with his studies. He was training to be a diplomat. Apparently he still had a terrible temper. Apparently this was an asset at the system trade union. Valentine walked there, but she was just about the only one. Others flew, either in sky cars or on invisible ground-effect cushions. There were a thousand of them getting their medals today, and she and Trover were placed next to each in, in the long queue, which was alphabet next to each other in the long queue, which is alphabet alphabetical by surname.
They should have given you the biggest and first medal, Vala, Trover said. His hands were in white fists. You, you won the war, and he knows it. On stage, the general shook hands with another medal recipient. He was up to the seas, and Valentine and Trover's name started with an X. It would be a while yet. His other arm is very convincing, she said. Trover just fumed. When they took the stage, the general looked at each of them and winked. He gave them each a medal, then he took her by the shoulders, and then hugged her to his breast. He was still thin and fragile, but he was also still quick, and his hug was firm. He pressed his palm to hers, and her body told her he was sending her some data, which she accepted with surprise, but without comment. Trover let, Trover led her off the stage. She, she examined her new download, an audio file. She played it, and it played in her cochlea. I found the wizard. I put a weapon under your chin. I'm fifty years old, and I did that much. I will find them, and I'll... You'll what? You'll tell them to go to the wizard's flat and retrieve his technology? I assure you, if that was to come to pass, there would be no technology to get by the time you reached his flat. He gave some to me. My hearing aids failed yesterday, and he got them back online with hardened logic. I have it in my head. You... You have it in your head? She'd never forgotten those words. Not in ten years, not through the reconstruction or her years abroad, not in school and not in work. Not a day had gone by without her thinking of it. Lots of people had ears that could buffer now, and hers now had a hundred-year buffer, along with all the audio ever recorded on tap for her pleasure, but she never bothered to rewind her hearing. These words in her mind were all the rewinding she needed. She sat down hard right there on the sugary grass. Trover was at her side in a flash, calling her name anxiously. She was crying uncontrollably, but she was smiling, too. Those words pulled off her ears ten years ago, th when they'd gone to Infowar Command. Oh, God, those old friends, those words. The wizard and Anna. It had been so long. Where had the time gone? The next day, she met an old face. You, he said. He had a thick accent, the kind of accent that said she, he'd learned her language the hard way. He hadn't just installed it. She looked at him. He was very familiar, but she couldn't place him. Maybe if he didn't have that silly beard forked into two theatrical points, the way that they were wearing them in Catalan that year. She tried to picture him without it. He was grinning like a fool and laughing. I can't believe it's you! She shook her head slowly. Where the hell did she know this guy from? She was supposed to be going to the cine with friends that night. The new show screened between the trees in the western woods, and you walked through them and around them and drank fizzy elderflower and talked with your friends as the story unfolded around you. It was a warm night and perfect for such things. You don't remember me? Her tooth tingled, the one that had been knocked out in the trench and respirated after the siege. Then she recognized him. Withnell? He hopped in place. Valentine, you remembered. She put her hand to her breast and staggered back dramatically, hamming it up. He was still very handsome, and she'd never forgotten her first kiss. What the hell are you doing here? I have a layover, he said. Tokyo tomorrow, but I wanted to stop and see the place. Remember the dead, she said. He had been the enemy after all. How many of her countrymen had he shot? Remember, he said. Remember everything. How many of his comrades had died on the day that the death rained from the sky? Surely they had died in great number on that day. The woods were full of her dead. Mata was there, and there was the movie that night. She touched the metal on her lapel. 
He had no medal. The soldiers who'd persecuted the siege received no medals. You're here until when? Tomorrow, he said, first thing. First thing tomorrow. Come and see a movie tonight, she said. He looked at her and cocked his head. She wasn't beautiful, she knew, but sometimes men looked at her that way. Something about what she'd done, they could see it. I'd like that very much, he said. She played back a little audio as they walked together, for a terrible silence descended on them as they walked, awkward and oppressive. Would you have turned us in if we didn't help you? No one would have believed me anyway. Valentine? Yes, Withnell. Thank you, he said, for the food and the kiss. It was my very first. Mine, too. The finest one, too. She snorted and punched him in the shoulder. Shut up, Withnell, she, she said. Yes, comrade hero, he said. She let, her ki she let him kiss her, but only once. That night, anyway. Well, that's the end of After the Siege. Um, I'm giving a reading tonight at Stanhope Center near Marble Arch in London. There's a link on craphound.com and another one on boingboing.net if you go there. Um, part 7 of Theme Punks went up today as well on uh, salon.com. If you go to the front page there, you'll find it. Um, still working hard on Part 2 of Theme Punks, uh, the uh, next book of Theme Punks. And uh, I think... I'll start reading later this week from uh, another story in progress that's been a little stalled. Maybe reading it aloud will get it jump-started. It's a story called When Sysadmins Ruled the Earth. Have a great day. I'm off to work. Talk to you later.